this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode. I have Claire Belmont from Cello with us today. Cello is creating a new platform to connect people globally and bring financial stability to those who need it most. They believe blockchain technology is one of the most exciting innovations in recent history, and the team is looking to push the boundaries of what is possible with it today. Most importantly, they're driven by purpose to solve real-world problems such as lack of access to sound currency or friction for cash transfer programs alleviated to aim to alleviate poverty. So I really had a great conversation with Claire about how all this works. Um, I found the mission really, really important. And I thank one of my friends for introducing me to the project and to folks there. And so we talked about um, their stability fees. We talked about stable coins. We talked about uh, something called Cello Gold, uh, which is part of their project. And we talked about how local currencies are as a way to reconnect people and, and distribute wealth and how Cello enables that. So this is a great conversation, a project that a lot of people are paying attention to. So please remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear a great conversation with Clara Belmont, who is uh, working on product there at Cello. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Claire Belmond from Cella with us. Uh, this is a project that one of my very close friends in the digital asset space highly recommended speaking to, and so I'm really excited about this. And so, Claire, if you could, what we'd like to do on the show, before we go too deep into the actual project and what you guys are working on, I like to have guests who come on the show kind of talk about their their catalytical moment into digital assets and all things blockchain. What really drew you into this world? You know, not necessarily the proverbial when Bitcoin moment, but when did you learn about blockchains and about distributed and decentralized systems? And what about the underpinnings and the innovation really led you into this space? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. Um, the journey, so the journey started a long time ago, even before Bitcoin was invented. So I, uh, I grew up in Kenya and I grew up with a computer, but without a TV. So from a very young age, I started kind of tinkering and that led into hacking and playing around with the first versions of the web in the 90s. And then I went and basically did engineering studies and I focused on security protocols, specifically formal verification for security protocols. So I've always been interested in protocols and in decentralized systems. It's just been a passion of mine. And when I finished my university studies, I was 2008. I thought, okay, let's all check this in the bin, big data, AI, that's what was the hot topic at the time. I uh, got this completely wrong, but I followed my heart. Um, and so when I discovered Bitcoin, I think the first time I heard about it was like 2011 or 12, uh, it resonated with me. I kind of picked up the idea and I followed it at a distance um, until 2015, where um, at that age, I was in a, in a situation where I wanted to reset myself in life and figure out where I wanted to go. I was just finishing my studies, my MBA at the time and decided to go back to my roots of my technical passions. Uh, and that's where I started in 2015, 
uh, Enigma with, uh, at the time there was Guy who's still around and the CEO of Enigma today and Oz who has also left the project since. Right. And so my journey in crypto has started ultimately in 2015. Okay, great. And as we know, every year on crypto, according to Zaki Manian, is about 10 years in human life. So you've been at this for about 40 plus years. So congratulations about that. <laughs> um, so let's learn a little bit more about Tillo. So in a similar spirit, and this is off of your website, The Mission and Meeting, which I really like, we are aiming to create a new platform to connect people globally and bring financial stability to those who need it most. We believe blockchain technology is one of the most exciting innovations in recent history. And as a team, we look to push the boundaries of what is possible with it today. So let's talk about that. And there's more within the mission and the meeting. But give us a little bit of a brief for people who may not necessarily know what this is about. If you could give us a little bit of a brief introduction description about CLO and what it's meaning to do. Yeah, sure. So um, so as you very rightly pointed out, it's a mission first project. Uh, And the mission is, uh, can we build a new monetary system that creates conditions of prosperity for all? So the thinking behind this is, uh, as we digitalize and globalize money with this new technology, uh, we're ultimately rethinking the financial system and the macroeconomic um, system. And so this is our opportunity to rethink how we can include those who currently aren't part of the financial system which is actually one adult in three today don't have a bank account. So what Selva is ultimately trying to achieve is really focus on the financial and the payments and the monetary aspect of blockchain technology. And really it's about building financial tools for everyone and starting with those who today aren't currently served by the existing financial system. So those are typically people in frontier markets, they're typically on mobile phones, and they typically operate in resource-constrained environments. Right. So as you mentioned, you know, driven by purpose to solve real-world problems such as lack of access to sound currency um, or friction for cash transfer programs aimed to alleviate poverty. And so... There seems to be some others that are trying to do that. Um, you know, Bitcoin, for many people out there, is one of those reasons, one of those things that is trying to solve some of those problems to provide this access to a sound money, a programmable money, if you will. And so for people that are trying to understand the differentials between what your project is doing and something that has been around for you know 10 years like bitcoin or something that's been around for maybe five years like ethereum it helps the the listeners out there that might be more outside of the sandbox how does this you know what is the differential between what you're producing what you're building versus something that's already out there yeah so i'll start with a personal story uh to give a bit more context um, so when we parted paths uh, with the Enigma co-founders, um, I had been looking at redesigning the mobile phone for the emerging market consumer. So I traveled Africa uh, for three months, uh, trying to do a bit of user research to understand user needs uh, on the continent. And obviously, I was trying to tip people in Bitcoin. And I was like, you have to understand this is a big opportunity. Um, and here's why it represents an opportunity for you. Um, and what I realized is there was a lot of barriers to adoption. 
Uh, the first one is just the sheer access to um, on-ramp and off-ramp, which is extremely limited. So there's an opportunity of helping people earn uh, crypto natively. And then to actually having apps run on the phone, uh, any wallet at the time, especially if you wanted self-sovereignty, was not going to happen. Uh, it just wouldn't, uh, it, would, it would require too much data, too much power, and would not be a priority for most people. Um, and so really it started with like, well, actually there's a, there's the people who could benefit the most from this technology are the ones who have the least access to it because of some technological and user constraints. And so that was a, that was a, like the initial, like Celo ultimately is trying to address that. But what I would add on top of that before I explain a bit specifically how Celo is trying to address this and how it differentiates itself from other projects is it not trying to replace the value that Bitcoin and ETH have already created. We actually see it as a way to redistribute the value that's already been created. Because what Celo is, in part amongst other things, is a platform for stable coins. And those stable coins are backed by a reserve that's composed of crypto assets, which include Bitcoin and Ethereum. So ultimately what Celo is, is it's a mobile first platform. It, it works on mobile phones, it allows mobile phones to have self-sovereignty, but the stable coins that the platform uses are ultimately backed by a basket of crypto assets, which includes existing um, you know, cryptocurrencies, as well as the native token that Celo has. So as we were discussing, the, the UX and the experience that users out there are, are basically having, I would love to kind of opine about this a little bit more as you've been building, you've been focused on product for the last few years in this space. Can you discuss the, the ease of use of the, the applications these days, especially as regards to Celo? How is it getting better? Because I think a lot of people still have this misapprehension that Digital, digital assets and cryptographic products, wallets, exchanges are still very cumbersome to use, but that has changed radically over the last year or so. So can you talk to us a little bit about the evolution and kind of the maturation of the UX in this space? Yeah, so I, it's a bit hard for me to talk about the UX in general because we're really focused on frontier markets and we're user first focused. Right. What we do is we do a lot of user research. And the way we approach user research is not necessarily about um, understanding what current habits they have and then just building for that. It's really understanding the motivations. What are they ultimately trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. And then figuring out what's the best way to meet those needs. So let me just give an example that may help clarify what I mean. Um, so I travel a lot between Europe and the West Coast uh, in the U.S. And I'm constantly jet lagged. So if you were to ask me when I arrive in San Francisco, like what you need, I'd be like, I need a coffee. But ultimately what, what you would want to understand is what am I feeling and what am I trying to achieve? And what I'm trying to achieve is to stay awake. And that could be addressed in different ways. It could be thinking about better sleep. It could be thinking about alternative medication, uh, melatonin, for example, or it could be coffee. So what we've been doing is instead of looking at what's already existing out there, which we know, by the way, does not at all resonate with people. So people are trying to survive. They don't have time to think about new frameworks. We met a woman who had a Facebook app on her phone and never opened it because she was like, wow. I don't have time to look into this. Um, what we've been learning is we need to speak to people in their existing frameworks. Mm -hmm. I think a very good example is M-Pesa. So what M-Pesa said is, 
well, you're already sending money home by road. Why don't you send money home by air? And that was a very easy framework for people to um, understand because it's building on existing mental models. So what we've been learning at Cello is really about leveraging existing mental models. And that goes from things as um, using, for example, one would be using the terminology that they're already using. So for example, in I think it was, Argentina, we learned that people uh, pay merchants, but they send money to friends. So we, as we were looking at peer-to-peer -peer, um, types of payments, we changed the terminology in the app to call to call it sending instead of payment. Mm. Um, so that would be one example. Another example that we learned in market as we were testing our app is um, if you tell people already, you know, they let's take Argentina to continue on on this market. Um, if you tell people, well, I pay for my tomato in pesos and I may, may have savings in dollars. And so let's say that the seller of stable coin is in dollars. So that's featured in the app. And then you tell them, oh, by the way, you need this other <laughs> asset called Cello Gold, which is the equivalent of ETH, um, to be able to send the transaction. They just don't understand. It's like, it's not like this. They don't understand where that's coming from. So... What we've done is we've actually enabled at a native level within the protocol to be able to pay transaction fees in stable coins. So any asset that is supported um, at a native level by the platform uh, can be used to pay transaction fees. So right. those are few examples of what we've been learning about usability. And there's much more. I think the biggest one being trust, uh, which is the third and last one I would talk about. Uh, and what we've learned is people trust people, they don't trust organizations. So again, taking the M-Pesa example, and we learned in Kenya, people trusted M-Pesa because they knew the merchant down the road at what they called. Um, and so they were very happy to trust that person with their money, but they didn't trust Safaricom, that's the telecom company that provides M-Pesa. Hmm. Uh, so what we've been trying to do is make sure what we, for example, entirely redesigned a website after that insight. We used to have a lot of illustrations. We changed that to pictures and stories of people. Uh, who are the people building Solo? What is their story? Why are they building Solo? Uh, and then also thinking about in market, it's important if we're touching money to have like a place where you can go and see someone. So it's, it's a face, but it's also a location. I think that's incredibly important because I think a lot of the issues that blockchains and projects within digital assets have had is that they've been trying to fit the proverbial square peg into the round hole. And I think what you guys are doing or are saying, well, no, it's, there are different cultural differences. There are different needs of people in the world for these products. And you have to really adapt them to those specific geographies and those specific cultures. And I think that's really impressive. Um, so let's go under the hood a little bit. So let's see how this all works. So Cielo differs from proof-of-stake projects, how? And also discuss a little bit, you know, while we discuss proof-of-stake, talk to us about how things actually work. How do things actually work in this product? Yeah, sure. So maybe it would be helpful before I jump into the details to kind of give the overview of what Cielo is. Um, and so what Cielo is, is it's a full-stack solution to address this 
this mission. Uh, what that means is we have a, literally an underlying cryptographic protocol similar to Ethereum, um, but proof of stake. Built on top of that, we have smart contracts. Um, so we have built in the smart contracts, we have what we call a lightweight identity mapping, which allows to map phone numbers to addresses to facilitate user experience. Uh, we have a stable coin um, protocol, which is enables an ecosystem of stable coins. And then we also have a full on-chain mechanism. And then built on top of that, we have a suite of apps. Uh, and these right now, we have the wallet. We've also done a savings and loan app. Um, which is basically people what well, we've remodeled what people are doing offline, which is uh, a community gathers a circle, they pull their funds together, and then that pool of funds can be used as a rainy day fund. So we've created an app for that. And so basically with this full stack platform, and the reason we were full stack is as we gathered user insights, we realized that there were different areas in the stack where we would need to put in these changes. So for example, I mentioned the renaming of the button goes in the app layer, but the transaction fees uh, in this case would go in the contract layer and in the cryptographic protocol layer. So uh, back to your question on uh, the proof of stake that Solo follows, um, we are basically a consensus mechanism like Tendermint in that we are PBFT. Um, let's break that down. Wait, let's break that down because a lot of people might not necessarily understand what that means. So if you can break that down a little bit, if you could. Yeah, so basically, um, I'm assuming people are, are familiar with proof of work. So mm -hmm. proof of work is basically competing for uh, uh, on a mathematical puzzle, winning that puzzle, and then That's it's right. your turn to validate. Right. Um, in, a, in a PBFT type of uh, consensus me mechanism, uh, so proof of work is what we call probabil probabilistic. So you have a probability of, of winning that um, puzzle and then mm -hmm. writing the block to the blockchain and what we call PBFT type of consensus algorithms uh, they are um, they are not probabilistic in that uh, the set of validators which are the equivalent of miners and proof of work are responsible um, for writing the next block to the blockchain but that order is predetermined and it's predetermined in what we call epochs which is a given set of time in the case of solo that would be every day um, and so once that validator has actually written the block to the blockchain, uh, that is considered set and final. So the big difference between a proof of work and proof of stake uh, type of um, um, consensus algorithm, uh, in particular PBFT, is you get fast finality. So in the case of Bitcoin, when you do a transaction, you have to wait a certain amount of blocks before you're sure that you know your transaction has gone through. Yep. Um, and you want to know what the main chain is. In the case of um, Celo, uh, as soon as that block is written to the blockchain, you know you're good. So we have five second blocks, which means within five to 10 seconds, you know your transaction has gone through and is confirmed. Um, a, there are many and, other things, but I think it will we'll go into too much detail and then right. a podcast on a consensus <laughs> algorithms. Well, it is important that people understand the differences. And I think you're talking about finality and you're talking about throughput. And I think a lot of people out there still talk about Bitcoin as it relates to transactions per second. And they still think about it, you know, you know relatively slow versus Visa, which obviously, in my opinion, I think is just not the right, uh, really, the benchmark to be using. Um, but I definitely think it is important to discuss those differences, the finality, and also the throughput. I think that's really helpful. So with... Just, 
to add on the finality, uh, mm -hmm. one reason this is important for Celo uh, in particular is we see for if we want to enable a medium of exchange type of use case uh, and we want to enable mobile phone usage, then mm -hmm. fast finality becomes important. That's right. I, I so completely agree with that. So with Bitcoin and with Ethereum and with Litecoin and some of the other ones, we talk about them being either, you know, kind of inflationary, deflationary. There's usually, you know, with Bitcoin, there's obviously a hard cap. With Ethereum, we've seen it be kind of more um, more of an elastic supply. So what's the supply? What's the kind of the supply uh, statistics and kind of the style of Celo? And especially tell us more about Celo Gold. Yes. So... Uh in short, Celo uh, overall and Celo Gold is um, is like Bitcoin, so it's deflationary. Uh, so it will follow a minting schedule over 30 years. Uh, that's the current plan. Uh, but obviously, this is a proof of stake uh, algorithm, which means that those who own gold uh, basically earn rewards uh, for holding that token. Um, and so what it becomes important is how that initial token is distributed because it ultimately means that the people who own the token are the ones who earn the rewards uh, to a certain extent. That's how a standard proof of stake type of model works. Uh, so Solo does work uh, in that way, but differs slightly. So maybe I'll start with what differs and then we'll talk about how it is similar to other projects. Uh, the main difference is... Uh, in other projects, um, validators, so the people who run the network, uh, basically earn um, the rewards proportional to the delegation that they've received. So the token holders, in this case it would be a solo gold holder, would uh, delegate their uh, tokens to a validator, and the more tokens that validator has delegated to them, the more rewards they would get back because they would have more responsibility within the network. In the case of Celo, that's a bit different. So the Celo gold holders are still responsible for electing validators, but they don't delegate. So they are responsible for choosing who these people are going to be to run the network, and that's the only way they can earn rewards, but they don't actually delegate those tokens to those people. Instead, those validators will earn a flat reward, similar to like mining um, reward in Bitcoin or block reward in Bitcoin. And that reward will be in Celo dollars. And the thinking there is we want to make sure that the network is secured at all times and that the validators are not subject to the volatility of Celo gold. So the way it works is the network will mint Celo gold. It will then back calculate how much that would be worth for a validator. And right now we're thinking of data will earn about $75,000 a year uh, and pay that out on an epoch basis, so once a day in solo dollars. And the idea here then is that the validator should be able to cover their costs plus a healthy margin, and should they wish to be exposed to solo gold, uh, they can at any time uh, go and exchange that. There's an online exchange uh, which works similar to Uniswap, which is also responsible for maintaining the stability of the stable coins. And at any time that the solo dollar to solo gold exchange can be done online. Uh, but really what that means is uh, from a validator perspective, this, the security of the network should be ensured in that validators are always well paid with a flat fee. 
Then what happens with solo gold holders, and by the way, validators can also be owners of solo gold holders, the way they earn rewards is they must lock up the money um, and give a notice period. And the more um, they lock up their assets, so their solo gold, the higher the amount they lock up and the longer the notice period, the more rewards they will get back minted by the network. So when their network mints a new block, or in this case, a new epoch block, uh, we mint once a, once a day, um, what it will do is it'll give out its share, fair share to the validators. It then calculate how much all the solo gold holders who have locked their gold um, are um, due, and that will be weighted by the amount of solo gold owned, and then pay that back. And then there's still a small amount left, and that small amount is divided between a, what we call an infrastructure fund, which is managed by the foundation, which is designed to help fund the core development of the platform, as well as probably fund audits for validators, um, and an, ec an ecological fund, which is a kind of a carbon offsetting fund as well. And back mm -hmm. to Solo's mission of being, as well, uh, building a better world. Um, so that's at a high level. There's uh, something else that we call validator groups, uh, which I think in the case of this a conversation may get a bit too detailed, but uh, at a high level, right. that's what it looks like. Well, one, I didn't know about that uh, kind of green and sustainable uh, SRI effort. That is something worthwhile and definitely worth mentioning in people getting to know. As we were seeing, especially within family offices and other institutional investors, there's been a bigger push uh, over the last few years, especially as there's a generational change. And we're seeing the younger generations, the, the G2s out there that are in their 30s and 40s, really understand that we need to make some dramatic changes and we really need to have some capital coming into the market to make those improvements and to hopefully offset some of the damages that we've had to this planet over the last years so that's great um I think lastly, in terms of the kind of the specifics and technicals, you know, one of the things that a lot of people are definitely keeping their eyes on, and we talked a little bit about it in terms of the incentive models and the validators, but in terms of just governance, um, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about on-chain governance and how do you actually get a large swath of people and their machines to kind of coordinate um, and do the things that need to get done. And so people are using projects like Aragon and others out there. Can you talk a little bit about the governance and uh, kind of some of the things that you've witnessed while you're building the project? Yeah, so the governance, as mentioned, is fully on-chain. And I'd say one thing that is particularly interesting with Celo is a lot of our system uh, contracts are written in Solidity as smart contracts which means it gives a lot of flexibility on things that we can change within the protocol. So for example, we can change how the stability protocol works, uh, the number, number of stable tokens or the types of stable tokens on the platform. We can even change the governance of the platform because it's all coded in solidity. And so what the on-chain governance um, process does is something uh, I would say quite similar to what we're seeing with other proof of stake networks, whether it be Tezos, Cosmos or even Polkadot, which is uh, there's a four-step process where if you have a suggestion on uh, uh, improvement and you want to get it approved, uh, then you would submit that. That would then go through a process that gets voted, taking into account uh, so what we call quorum-based type of voting, so just making sure that if you have a low turnout of votes, you can still get a proposal through. If you have a high turnout of votes, then making sure that uh, you have some flexibility post that 
uh, in that it doesn't, I think, Tesla's had to face that issue where uh, they kept moving the bar higher and higher up and there was no way to bring that bar back down in, the, in terms of threshold to get things passed. And so we've designed a governance um, process built on top of the learnings of the other networks, but very, very similar to the other networks. With the key differences, we can probably change a lot more things online um, versus other protocols because a lot is coded in Solidity smart contracts. And, you know, I, I like to pick on Solidity, unfortunately. I, I think maybe I shouldn't as much as I do, but I think at the same time I've had this kind of theory that in terms of overall developer community and kind of adoption. Um, have you noticed that if you run to say like, you know, TypeScript or JavaScript, something that might've been a more legacy interface, have you noticed, you know, over the last year or so that more developers are much more kind of educated and prepared to use Solidity or do you still see that that's a little bit of a gap? So uh, it takes time, right? The ecosystem is still evolving. Uh, what I would say is um, because Celo uh, is basically part of the Ethereum ecosystem, so it's actually based off Go Ethereum. Uh, one of the choices of actually going that way was to leverage the existing ecosystem and uh, not uh, make it easy for people who've already started working on Ethereum, for example, to expand their reach to mobile users without having to rewrite entirely an app in a new language. So um, the thinking here is uh, you've already made, you may already have learned Solidity in the case of Ethereum and you want to ex expand your DAP to mobile users. That port, port, porting over to Solo should be pretty straightforward because Solo is also EVM based. So what we've seen is actually leveraging the existing ecosystem and building on top of it and giving back to the Ethereum community is probably has been very favorable for us versus trying to build something else from scratch. So I'm also involved with Tezos and uh, Tezos obviously has been, uh, has, hasn't got such easy programming languages and it's been a much longer journey for them to get developer mindshare. And so the, the great benefit of Solidity is we're seeing a, a really growing and vibrant ecosystem. Obviously the risks with that is it's a higher level language, easier to adopt, but the trade-off is potentially security risks and security bugs that go unnoticed. Right. Um, which we are addressing in a, in a number of ways. In particular, we have currently five auditors who are formally verifying all of our smart contracts. Um, and there will always be an option to build other types of clients on Celo should we or other use, you know, have other programming languages such as Rust if we feel that there's a need for more secure types of approaches. All right. And so as anyone who listens to the show, the other thing that we'd like to do is away from the project and away from everything that you do on a day and day basis there uh, in terms of building the product. Just to get a little, little bit know about you, um, you know, things that we like to find out are if you've read anything recently, whether it's something on your Kindle or your phone, something maybe you actually have a real physical book. You know, people still actually buy books these days. So anything that you might have read if you're traveling, and I'm sure you're traveling a lot, as you mentioned before, anything that you've read recently that really resonated with you, uh, would we, we would love to find that out. And then in terms of the other inputs that we put in our brain, is music. Um, hopefully you get to listen to music and you enjoy music. If there's any types of music that you like, uh, whether it's classical, whether it's electronic, whether it's, you know, some people have actually said that they like metal, uh, any music that you like. Uh, so any books or anything that you've read recently that kind of resonated with you and any music that you listen to? 
So um, I'm definitely more of a reader than a music listener, so I'll start with the books. Um, the one book I'd recommend that I read recently that I thought was very interesting is uh, called Fiat Paper Money. Um, and it basically talks about the history of fiat money, starting in China all the way to today. Uh, and so I found that book extremely insightful because, as we say, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And I feel there's a lot that we can learn from uh, what's happened in the past as we start thinking of these new digital types of currencies. So that would definitely be the book I'd recommend. Um, and it's written by Ralph Foster, if I recall correctly. Okay. Uh, and then in terms of music, so I used to be a semi-professional hip-hop dancer. Uh, wow. so I actually like uh, hip-hop and rap from the late 90s, early 2000s, and I was definitely more of a West Coast person. Uh, but I also do like a few um, groups from the East Coast, so everything from Common to The Roots to Dre or Snoop, which is more mainstream, uh, but like a lot of the underground stuff as well as more of the mainstream old school uh, hip hop. I love it. I, uh, I I definitely have an affinity and an appreciation for the 80s and 90s hip hop. I think uh, that it was so much more enjoyable than a lot of the stuff I listen to today. Um, really love that you like that. That's great. The other thing that we like to do with our guests before we wrap up is letting them find ways to get to know more about Solo and you or the project. You know, where can they go to learn more? Where can they get involved? So the best place is probably the website, which is celloceelo.org. Uh, and then on Twitter at celo.hq. Uh, where we typically announce uh, uh, where we'll be and what we're up to. Um, so keep an eye out on Twitter to stay in touch with the team. Amazing. So this was Claire Belmont. I uh, had a product at Cello, and I think we had a great conversation. I really like what they are working on in terms of their mission, as I mentioned, you know, creating a new platform to connect people globally and bring financial stability to those most in need. You know, there's over a billion people who are underbanked in this world and who have a need to get access to financial products and to be able to alleviate themselves and bring themselves up. So I really love the mission that they're working on. And so hopefully you can, you know, search them out, find uh, more about it. And Claire, thank you for joining us on Base Layer. And hopefully we can catch up with you in a few months to see how things are progressing. Thank you. Thank you. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.